Hello and welcome once again to the Switch Focus Podcast. I am your host, Andy Corrigan, and with me as always are my two co-hosts, Ginny Wu. Hey Andy, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you after your wisdom tooth removal? Um, I can't complain now. Uh, it was honestly real bad before, but I've got them out and we'll never have to do it ever again, so I'm pretty pleased with that. Cool. Lots of gaming time in the recovery. Definitely. And also with us is Andrew, the other Andrew Brown. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Enjoyed a week off. Went to see It on our downtime last week, so that was pretty cool. Not very scary, but still pretty good, I thought. Tough guy here. Yeah. So, let's get right into it. Now, I mentioned after Andrew's rave review of SteamWorld Dig that I wasn't a big fan of the first one, so I wasn't going to pick it up. I actually re-bought it on 3DS, played it through in one day, and I'm totally on board for SteamWorld Dig 2. I've bought it, and I'll keep you posted on how I go with that over the coming week. You guys got any updates? Um, just that I am weirdly addicted to Golf Story after saying last week that I wouldn't play it and that it wasn't really my thing. So I've had to eat my words now. <laughs> I'm sure we'll cover that very shortly. Okay, on to latest Switch news. Uh, much to Andrew's delight, Darkest Dungeon is apparently coming to Switch. Yay! <laughs> you got the details on this one? Uh, not many details are out right now. Uh, as I mentioned a few episodes back, Red Hook Studios, who are the developers of Darkest Dungeon, mentioned in an Ask Me Anything on Reddit that, well, they didn't even mention it. They alluded to that they would like to bring the game to Switch. And then last week, they put a video on Twitter of the game running on a Switch. So nothing has been declared, nothing is official yet, but it's looking pretty likely that Darkest Dungeon will be coming in the very near future, and looking at games like Stardew Valley, which we'll be talking about later in the episode, it could be coming much sooner than we think. That's cool, I always like those surprises. It's another game that I own twice and haven't played yet, so maybe another chance to put that right. I own it on PlayStation Network, Uh, I'm a big fan of it, I think it's a really cool idea for a game it works really well the problem is on the playstation network uh it's just not the right format for it but i think the switch is perfect that's why i've wanted it on the switch since day one and it looks like that is going to happen next up is that battle chef brigade is going to allow the player to be vegan if they choose now we talked about this game on the very first episode so it was a bit of a a kind of side-scrolling monster hunter cross cooking competition right yes Perfect. Um, do we have any vegans on the show? No. Not I. <laughs> Three meat eaters, so we probably won't be going along with this one. So apparently it looks like it's a... They're using it from a self-imposed challenge. Pretty much in the same way as you could avoid the mushrooms in Mario if you wanted it to be really difficult for some reason. Um, so I was doing some reading um, in terms of that vegan challenge and basically how the game's cooking element is going to go is you're going to have some fra- some flavor profiles to meet with each dish. And apparently if you use the standard recipe or you use like the standard ingredients, it's easy to hit that flavor profile. Like for example, if it's like a boar stew, it'll have like deeper flavors. But you can get the same deep flavors with more quantities of vegetable ingredients and different mixes. So it's kind of like making vegan versions of the meat dishes in the game, which I guess will make it a little bit more difficult, but I don't think it's quite as difficult as avoiding mushrooms in Super Mario Brothers. I feel like it could just be like a uh, more of an inconvenience than like a real issue. But I mean, I think it's good that it, they have this option. That way people can play the game and, you know, 
it can cater to everyone's ethical concerns or ethical differences when it comes to eating meat, um, which is interesting, I think, for a game like this. I wouldn't have expected to have it. I didn't think it needed it. But, um, I mean, hey, if more people are going to play it because of it, I think it's a good idea. So there you go. If you're against eating fictional animals, you're all covered here. I want to eat a dragon. Yeah, me too. I'm so keen to eat a dragon. <laughs> I w- wish we actually had a vegan on the show so we could ask if that applies. Yeah. Is eating funny. a f- is eating a fictional animal vegan? I'm curious. Now, I've I, I've done a podcast with a vegan where we discussed Final Fantasy 15's uh, cooking, and they seemed all for that. So okay, huh. cool. Who knows? As expected, though, it's been a bit of a, a slow news week after the direct. Anyone caught wind of anything else we should be mentioning? There was the oxen free announcement, but of course that's out already, and we're going to talk about that soon. Yeah, I think maybe. it's mainly just been a bunch of new releases, and some people being like, "Oh, why are there so many? Why do we get no notice?" Kind of thing. And talking of new releases, let's go through them. Okay, so there's been a whopping amount out this week and last week and of course we've been off for two weeks so we have a gigantic list we're, we're only really going to talk in depth about the stuff we've played um, but let's list it all so we have had Cinemora EX which I've played on Vita before a couple times probably wouldn't go back to it again but it's there if you want to give that a go we've got Arcade Archives Mario Brothers Tower of Babel Sparkle 2 Physical Contact Picture Palace Pan Kapoo Inverses Deluxe, Earth Atlantis, Demo, Conga Master Party, Butcher, Brave Dungeon and Dark Witch Story Combat, Binaries, Astro Bears Party, another Neo Geo game in Burning Fight, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, Axiom Verge, Tumblestone, Oxen Free, Metal Slug X, Volgar, Stardew Valley, One Piece, Unlimited World, FIFA 18, Pycross X, Thimbleweed Park, and Golf Story. Breathe. That was a long list. Yeah. Now, are you guys interested in any of the ones that we're not going to be talking about? I have put many of these on my wish list just as games to buy when I need a new game to play. But of the ones that we did not put down to discuss, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time looks really interesting. Do you guys know anything about this one? Yeah, my wife tried it on Xbox Live Arcade when they got it with Games of Gold, but I didn't see much about it or what what it actually is. Okay, so it's like a couch co-op game, basically, one to four people. If you play by yourself, you get like a cute AI friend, and you're basically four small woodland animals in a spaceship in space. And your job is to man the various controls that like fire cannons out of the spaceship and to steer it to get away from things in space that are attacking you. Hence the name Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Yeah, it looks like a cool co-op game. Uh, I'm interested. Uh, kind of like a, a more indie, abstract version of Star Trek Bridge Commander. That VR game that's out. That looks really cool. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, another game that's also out on the Switch that's kind of built around local co-op and communication with people who are actually sitting next to you is uh, Overcooked, which also has a single-player mode where you control two characters at the same time and you can switch between them with a hotkey. I don't think it works very well in Overcooked. I think Overcooked works much better as a local multiplayer game, and if you don't have multiple people to play it with, it's not worth it. But Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, what I've read of it, 
Uh, it sounds like if you're playing it by yourself and you have a little uh, helper animal who you can direct, but who you don't directly control, you just give it a command and it'll do it. Sounds much more appealing as a single-player game, so I'm interested in checking it out for that aspect, but also to play it with my friends when the opportunity arrives. Hey, uh, a couple that caught my attention, I was looking at a Demo, which it looks super interesting. I like rhythm action games, but I'm put off by $45 dues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will not pay more than $25 for a digital-only game. If I pay more than that, it's got to be physical. Yeah, well, I mean, I've played the original um, demo, which is on the mobile. So like Voez, this was all released on the mobile beforehand by Rayark, the developer. And um, I wouldn't really call it a rhythm action game. It's actually kind of quite soothing to play. Um, the soundtrack is mostly piano music and piano concertos and it's got a lot of a toned down feel compared to normal rhythm games like you don't really feel competitive I know in Voez like the story is gated by you getting high scores and hard songs but in Demo it's not like that Um, I think it's got a nice story and I think the price tag is a little bit unexpected for me being that high having played the mobile version does it cost that much on mobile no way no 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 so in mobile okay. it is like a kind of like a free-to-play game so you can shell out if you want to but you can also grind stuff in game to pay for the content well i i've read that in demo like you're basically paying for all of the in-game content that you would normally pay for if you did the the pay option in the mobile version so i guess that makes sense but still forty dollars that's that sounds like a lot to me. Yeah, and also, I mean, the thing with Demo and with Boas is they would have sort of, you know, when you would have sales on the App Store, you could obviously, you could often buy the expansion content for a lot less. And so most players would probably do that and end up spending much less than $45 on Demo. Um, it is a really great game with a beautiful story, but I think if you're looking for getting your money's worth out of a rhythm game on the Switch, Boas has a lot more songs in it, a much larger library, and I'm pretty sure it costs about the same so I would go for that instead is my recommendation okay the other one that uh, piqued my interest mainly because of the price was Brave Dungeon and Dark Witch Story Combat which looks like a double pack RPG and card game Mm. together you guys had a look at this one I've had a look but I've not played it I think it is a double pack and the price is really good I think it's one of those I'll pick up when I'm out of games to play but I wouldn't go out of my way to pick it up because I know pretty much nothing about the franchise. Uh, and that certainly doesn't look like happening anytime soon with all these releases we've been getting. Yeah. Um, a couple of our listeners have commented on, on some of them. So Axiom Verge, one that a lot of people were looking forward to. So apparently it's very Metroid, which is echoed by Cheap Boss Attack on Twitter, who said that Axiom Verge is the best love letter to Super Metroid. Um, and also Craigity Craig said it's a smart homage to Metroid, without being slavishly devoted to it. Still many interesting original ideas and aesthetics. I am picking up Axiom Verge in November when the physical version comes out. Oh, yep. So maybe we'll talk more about it then. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Cool. And Oxen Free, Cheap Boss Attack, again says that it feels like Freaks and Geeks meets Twin Peaks. It's next on my list to get after I finish Thimbleweed Park. I don't want to have two adventure games at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to get it after I've uh, got through SteamWorld Dig 2, I reckon. I've actually bought it already because I love Jumping the Gun, and all my mates said it was really good. Um, it is less puzzly than Thimbleweed Park, for sure. A lot of it's kind of more based around managing interpersonal relationships through participating in dialogue and exploration. It's a lot more adventure than puzzly, I would say. 
but so far I've been really enjoying it and it is really spooky so I think it's perfect for the October month so yeah I've got a dilemma with it where the, I've just got it for free on Xbox Live <laughs> with Games with Gold Yeah. but I feel like Switch is a better home for it so am I willing to spend the 20 bucks I think I probably am I'm in the same place with several games uh, there's another one coming out at the end of October Lumo that's coming out on Switch I already have it pre-ordered I already have it on PlayStation Network Plus for free. <laughs> uh, I also have Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time on PSN. I just have no desire to play it on that platform. I want to play it on my Switch, which I know is ridiculous. There's probably people out there shaking their heads sternly at me, but I'm like, sorry, this is where I'm at. Um, well, it's like Stardew, because I own that twice on PC and on PlayStation, and as soon as it was announced for Switch, I was waiting for it because I don't want to play it anywhere else because it just seems like the perfect format for it. Yep. Um, and talking of Stardew Valley, uh, I believe we've all bought this one. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I know Andrew has already put up the first hour on YouTube. And yeah, I think we'll talk more in depth on it later, but you guys got any early thoughts on this one? I haven't touched it either, so <laughs> it's just going to be Andrew. But I've played the game before on other platforms, but obviously can't speak to the Switch version just quite yet. I have almost bought it several times on other platforms, but once I learned in the lead up to the release of the Switch that Stardew Valley was being worked on for it, I decided to wait for it to come out on Switch to play it there. Uh, Jason Schreier, he's got a great book out, it's called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, which is all about the development of several games, one of which is Stardew Valley, wrote about how this game was made by one person, which I appreciated that it was made by one person. I, I I understood what that meant in like the strictest terms, but once I've sat down and I played this game and I've seen how much detail there is to it, uh, how deep and involved all the systems are, and I've barely only played two weeks of the game uh, so far, and just all the music, all done by one person, this is an astounding game, just the fact that it even exists. So it's definitely worth playing just so you can marvel at that fact. And I've got all kinds of things that I can say about it that I'm not thrilled about with. And the, the other things, like, the, the, it's very derivative of Harvest Moon. It is. If you like Harvest Moon, you're going to like this. They haven't made a real Harvest Moon in decades. So you'll probably get a kick out of that if you're a fan of the old Harvest Moon games. But we'll talk all about that later. Just for right now, spend the money on it just so you can marvel at the monument that this game is to one person's work because it's amazing okay so now we're going to spend a bit of time talking more in depth about the games that we have played extensively uh, and first up is one piece unlimited world red deluxe edition now Ginny, you're the only one that's played this so what do you want to tell us about it okay well it is a pretty huge game um file size wise but i think i expected that um, just in terms of the kind of game that it is. It is 10.4 gigs, so I think you might want to whip out your SD card before you think about installing it. Um, I know it's come out on the 3DS and the PS4, but the Switch is the first one that I've played. Just obviously owning both the other consoles, you can probably tell that it's going to have vastly improved graphics over the 3DS version. I don't think the price point is that much higher. So I would highly recommend, I think, if you want to play this, shelling out for the Switch version. It's also got lots of extra content that is missing from the others. And by content, I mean things like different costumes and in-game items. So mostly cosmetics, but I think if you're a real fan, that will matter to you. 
Otherwise, mechanically, it's a really straightforward beat them up game, kind of like Senran Kagura, which makes sense if you consider the fact that it's based on One Piece, which is about beating up a bunch of people 24-7 all the time. Um, the story isn't too convoluted, I would say. Um, it hasn't really got much of a narrative to it in terms of narrative strength and plot development. So if you kind of really want to play a game for a story like Andrew often does, this is really not the kind of game for you. This is definitely more like a warrior's game whereby you feel pretty strong compared to everyone else and your job is to just dish out the pain to everything that you see. I think it's a good game even if you aren't a fan because it's not too complicated, the navigation is really fun, you kind of swing around from high place to high place and the characters are interesting enough that you won't need to know them to enjoy them. But if you are a fan, then it's a great game and I highly recommend it because you can play as pretty much anyone. Not only Luffy, you can play as Zoro and Chopper. Um, for the uninitiated, he is a raccoon looking dog. So that it's got cute points in that factor. <laughs> um, you'll like it if you've watched the anime and read the manga, even more so if you've done both. And it's a good game if you just want to switch your brain off and just kick butt and look good while doing it. So basically... I would recommend it if you're a fan, and if you're not, maybe save your money for one of the other indie games that we just discussed, because you won't get that much mileage out of it. I just want to add, in uh, behind the scenes when we were discussing this one, I kept forgetting the name and just kept referring to it as Anime Pirates, which I think is a much better title. Yeah, definitely. I would play the, I would play the crap out of a game called that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up is FIFA 18. Now, I gather I'm the only one that's picked this one up. Yes. <laughs> yep. Being the only English football fan on the podcast. Yes. So I just want to say that... I just want to start by saying the core game itself is perfectly fine. It plays a good game of football. It's very attack-minded. So all your players bomb forward with, with abandon. There's a bit like my beloved Liverpool team right now. <laughs> um, but there, I've had a heap of problems with it. So there's, I've had situations where player face textures aren't loading so you just get these bold blue blue and green heads oh i was hoping it would be like i thought i was hoping it would be like the assassin's creed where their face doesn't show up so it's just the (laughs) eyes and the teeth i loved that it's like a patchwork quilt Amazing. um i i I saw a video where none of the players or goalposts loaded and they were replaced (laughs) with black humanoid blobs and it looked kind of charming actually better than it looks because it does not look great. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of like awkward animations, particularly in the goal celebrations. Um, and even with the Switch not being as powerful as the PS4 or the Xbox One, I'm pretty sure it could have looked a lot better than this. Um, but it does run at 60 frames per second. I've seen no frame drops. That all runs smoothly. The uh, online mode is smooth as anything. Mm. It's like almost perfect netcode. But there's no way to invite your friends to matches. So you can't you can't just jump in, see who's on your friends list, who's online, and, and get them in. It's all against randoms. For unsociable people like me, that's fine. But other people, that's going to frustrate them. Mm. Also, they, they've been touting the whole time about how it would have features missing because it's not the same engine as the, the other versions or, or what they're classing as the, the full versions. But I still think they could have done like the journey, which is like their story mode following the the trials and tribulations of a young player they could have done it like as a visual novel or just anything just to to fill out that feature set 
a bit, I think. And with that, your only options really are to play a bog standard career where you manage or just play as a single player. Mm. It's not that big a miss because football games tend to have their own drama, last minute winners, you know, dodgy tackles and all that sort of stuff. But a bit more effort would have been appreciated, I think. Can't really call it half arse because they have created an engine just for it. Um, but there's just a definite lack of care that just wouldn't have happened with the other versions. I, I saw a report, I think it was on Kotaku, that most people are not playing the Ultimate Team mode on Switch, and I don't know if that's significant, what that really means, but Kotaku thought it important enough to report it, so I thought maybe that was a significant oversight that most people weren't playing this mode that's apparently core to the game. Yeah, so Ultimate Team is a lot like um, collecting football trading cards when you're a kid so you get packs with players and kits in and stuff and you can build your club around those and you get to use those players in your team online and offline so it's the same system that nba playgrounds uses sounds like pretty much it's it's a bit more in depth and players have value and you can sell sell the players on and that Mm. sort of thing and loan loan them but it's pretty cool but i've never really wanted to spend a lot of time in it They've made their own engine for FIFA 18. Do you see that as something they can build on for future yearly installments or bi-yearly, however often they do it? Or do you think this is going to be it? Uh, I think the the engine is is per- perfectly fine, but it doesn't play as well as the other versions. Okay. And and on that, the, my, my takeaway is that it's an okay game of football. It's an okay version of FIFA. It has problems, and if it doesn't sell well, then they've only got themselves to blame because they've been touting it as an inferior version this whole time. Mm, fair. Let's uh, chat about Thimbleweed Park now. So we all got this one? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So we were meant to talk about this in the last episode, but none of us had played it because we've all been busy trying to play literally all the other Switch games. Uh, this one comes from LucasArts legend Ron Gilbert and his team at Terrible Toy Box. Build as an old-school point-and-click adventure game, and boy, is it certainly that. From the art style, the storytelling, the humour and even the, the the delivery of the voice acting I found felt really 90s um, I'm sure that would turn some people off but I really like it, what do you guys think? The graphical style and just the way the whole thing is rendered and with your toolbar in the bottom left that has all of your like use, talk open, close, etc. actions reminded me immediately of the NES version of Maniac Mansion but you know obviously in high definition so I appreciated it for that alone but uh, it's not really what I expected it to be. Uh, I was expecting it to be more of a straightforward murder mystery when it's really kind of a, a farce. Uh, it's kind of the X-Files one part Twin Peaks and one part I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't finished it, right? I have not. I'm in part three, The Arrest. I, I'm... Very stubbornly refusing to use the tip line, and I am playing on hard mode. I want to figure everything out for myself. Uh, I've managed to identify the victim, and now I'm trying to get the blood sample analyzed, but I can't get the machine to take the blood sample I've taken. That's where I'm at right now. Okay, I'll not spoil that for you. Uh, I went hard mode too. I have had to cheat a couple of times, mainly just to speed myself up, because I didn't want to walk around the town just rubbing all my items on every other item. (laughs) pervert (laughs) (laughs) on the puzzle solving I found that a lot of it's logical if you think about it Uh which is the opposite is a complaint of of the genre back in the day where the solutions were really crazy to the point that you would never possibly think of that yourself but I think they've done a good job of keeping it on track here I think the notepad 
or the notebook that the characters have helps a lot with that. Mm-hmm. It sort of helps keep you focused on the tasks. And there were a couple of times I got stuck because I was thinking too out of the box than what the game wanted, and it was actually really simple, and, oh yeah, why didn't I think of that? Could I just talk about the notepad real quick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, like, It's still my favorite LucasArts adventure game, but if I had something like the notebook in The Dig which is one of the last ones they did in the Scum-style engine. I think it's an absolutely amazing sci-fi game. You should check it out. I think it's on Steam. Uh, but the dig is so obtuse. You have no idea what it is you're supposed to be doing, especially at the start of the game. If I had something like The Notebook, which actually laid out in a literal checklist all of the puzzles that I'm expected to be solving, not the solutions, not the pieces that I need to solve them, just a general idea of the puzzles I'm supposed to be solving... I would have been able to get my way through that game much faster than I did. I think I had to use a guide eventually before I did beat it. And I, I really appreciate that addition to Thimbleweed Park. I was just going to say that that really helped me out. Um, as someone who often bumbles along, basically, just running into stuff, I found that really helpful. Um, I was one of those people who figured that casual might be more my difficulty level, but I was really stubborn. So I was like, I'll play it on hard. It can't be that bad. And it was really, really challenging. Um, it really didn't feel as much as a point. It really didn't feel as much like a point and click adventure as I thought it would be. Like I was expecting sort of more sort of open and shut dialogue interfaces and dialogue activities as opposed to, I guess, the extra puzzling. But I've enjoyed it. I think it has made me go a bit out of my comfort zone in terms of games. But I really don't regret it. Um, I don't get a lot of the nostalgic references. Um, I think I was like an infant in the 90s, so I wouldn't have been able to benefit from the extra stuff that you guys are perhaps picking out of, or picking, sorry, the extra stuff that you guys are getting out of it, nostalgia-wise and game-wise. But as someone who is new to this sort of format, relatively, it's been really fun, and I've been enjoying it. I think she just called us old. I was about to say, we we are old, Andy. I had to explain the other day what MSTing means to some co-workers. So, yeah, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I found that helped was the ability to switch characters. So whenever I got stuck, I just switched to someone else yeah. and started work on their checklist, and eventually it would sort of come together. Mm. There was something I wanted to talk about. So I, I recently started playing Dungeons & Dragons with a couple of colleagues at work. Nerd! Nerd! <laughs> Now, there is some, like, out-of-character stuff that felt weird in this at first. So, like, in, in D&D, our, our, our DM is, like, constantly reminding us of metagaming, and we're not meant to do it, so that means things that we, the player, know that the character might not, or that someone else's character might not. No min-maxing, R2. Yeah, so there was a lot of weird stuff where I'd have one character hand something to another character who had no idea what the other person was doing. Yeah. It just felt just felt really weird. Like, both Ransom and Dolores have things on their checklist that, at locations they just haven't been to. It was like, well, how would you know you need to go do that? Mm. And, and so you felt like you're gaming the system quite a lot. Because outside of the two feds, the rest of the characters didn't know that the others had any goals to achieve or why they're in a location so you could be walking around and there's just a creepy clown stood there for no reason but they they do address it and they address it really well and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil it but yeah it's it it sort of becomes this beautiful takedown of of games and games development and particularly adventure game development 
and and I tweeted to that effect, and the Thimbleweed Park account liked it, so I think I'm on the money. They like everything. <laughs> Don't be too proud of yourself. I'm special. Leave me alone. <laughs> now I have to ask because it's going to tie into a future Splatfest thing. Yes. Did you use the option to turn the toilet paper the correct way around? The correct way around. You heard. You heard. How me. telling. <laughs> We're not getting that one in the U.S. We're getting vampires versus werewolves because I guess uh, in America they like Twilight or something. I don't know. That's probably it. But That's really boring. Yeah. That's boring. Team werewolf. Oh, <laughs> They're both so lame that I don't even care. Yeah. I'm like pretending it's like a, a, a Skyrim werewolf or a Order 1886 werewolf instead of a Twilight werewolf. Well, which, but I don't which, which, which one is Marina's again? Werewolf. Oh, guess I'm team werewolf. Damn right. <laughs> anyway, uh, and just lastly, on uh, back on Thimbleweed Park. Is that what we were talking about? <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, what did you guys make of the, the Switch uh, unique features? Because I thought it was done really well. Like The touchscreen controls were pretty good. The physical controls were great. Well, I know Andrew hates a touchscreen. And using it, so... Okay, let me clarify. I don't hate touchscreens. I just don't want to use mine on my Switch because I feel like I'm going to ruin my screen if I do. Fair enough. I have a tablet and I love it. I, d- I just needed to clarify that. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I liked it. I always like when you can tell that a game has been optimized specifically for that console, and I think making full use of the Switch's various functions just kind of proves that to me, and it makes that game sort of feel that much more detailed and that much more impressive to me. So yeah, I'm all for it. I loved it. I didn't know that there were Switch-specific features to show you how much research I did on that. Uh, I was somewhat dismayed to find that I have to control an on-screen cursor with a joystick, which is never an enjoyable experience for me. Mm. Uh, but I adapted to it, and I've there are shortcuts built in which are not intuitive and not explained to you at all, but they are there, and once I figured them out, I got my way around in the game okay. But uh, I, I heard one of you say physical controls. Does that mean I can use the IR in one of the controllers to aim the cursor? Because if I could do that, I would be doing just fine. Uh, sadly not, I don't think. Uh, uh, on, on, on the whole, it's pretty well uh, developed to the Switch standards, I think. So, cool. so that's a definite recommend from me. Yeah, me too. Get it. Even people that were infants in the 90s. Yeah, I think if you're coming to it from uh, uh, where your introduction to adventure games was a telltale game like the walking dead you might be a little overwhelmed at first at how much exploration and puzzle solving there is because it's completely on the opposite end of the scale of a telltale game but i still think you would enjoy it next up is one that i know andrew had been looking forward to which was Picross s following our discussion about pixel lines dx Uh, i grabbed this too i haven't played that much of it because i still want to finish pixel lines first but uh, i am really enjoying it i i I'm not sure I fully understand it yet. I get the basic gist of it. Uh, and I like unlocking pictures, as I've discovered recently. <laughs> you want to talk about this one? Sure. Uh, I, I'm actually very recently gotten into Pycross. I know there's a lot of people who have been playing it for years and years and years because the first one to come out was actually a Game Boy game, which I think was Japan exclusive, but became a cult hit somehow along the way. And it's been following ever since with entries on DS and 3DS, but... I didn't get into it until 
Nintendo put out Twilight Princess Picos as the My Nintendo Rewards release at the launch of that program, and I played it, and I was like, this is actually really cool. And I was like you, Andy, where I was kind of flailing, and I didn't exactly know what I was doing, but I've done, I think, ten of these games now, hundreds and hundreds of puzzles now, and there are tricks that you pick up along the way, and Picross S doesn't reinvent the wheel. It is just more Picross, but it's on the Switch, which means it's got a bigger, brighter screen, so it's easier to see what's going on. Uh, it has no touchscreen controls, which surprised me. You have to do everything with the Pro Controller or with the Joy-Con, which might be a downside to some people because on the 3DS version, it was touchscreen controls, and it made it feel very organic. Now, that's weird because I just, I just assumed it had touchscreen controls, but wow. I'm, I'm sure they'll get added later, but I believe right now they do not have them. And the thing I'm most excited about... And this is what a vanilla update this is to the last entries, since this is what I'm most excited about, is they let you add in a maybe option. Before, it was either yes or no, that there's definitely supposed to be a pixel in this box. Uh, but now, like in Minesweeper, how you can add a question mark, there might be a mine there that might not be. You can add an option into it, said maybe there's one here, maybe there isn't. It makes it a lot easier to puzzle out where there may or may not be a pixel once you know the advanced moves which i could try to explain here but i would probably just make people's heads explode it's much easier if you see a diagram of it so i won't bother so my, my question is i know you can mark the tiles but there doesn't seem to be any punishment for getting them wrong other than that you take a bit longer uh i don't know about in this one because i have disabled the penalty features but I know in the past, if you make a mistake, it'll actually add seconds onto your time. So if you're going for best times, then that'll count against you. Oh, I don't care about that. Yeah. Plan for me. Moving on to the one that everyone on the internet was excited for, which was Golf Story. This is one that Andrew brought up in episode one. I initially had no interest from the sound of it, but then I saw it and was super excited for it. Ginny maintained her lack of interest, but I believe you've recently been won over. Yeah, I am now so deep into this game, I fear I might never leave. Like, So it's been a complete um, 180 in terms of my attitude towards the game. So that was very surprising, yeah. Cool. Now, I was expecting it to be uh, less linear, more open, probably a bit more like Stardew Valley. I don't know why, probably just the art style tricked me into that sort of mindset. Um, and I was also expecting like character customization designs, but there was no- nothing like that. It is, it is what it says on the tin. It is a golf story, and it's one that you follow through from start to finish. The lack of character customization is a disappointment to me, because like, there's really no reason that they couldn't have added in something as easy as a, a female character model, because it would have changed almost nothing about the game. They could have just done it. I mean, the character is a blank slate. They have practically no personality there's no reason that minimal effort and that minimal option could not have been provided yeah i thought from the promo photos you could play as a woman and so i like i did the whole intro bit and i was like okay when do i get to be like hey i'm x and y's sister never came um (laughs) didn't didn't really impact my enjoyment of the game so far as i can testify i'm just way too deep into the golf story hole now but that would have actually been quite a nice thing to have i agree with what andrew said 
Yeah. Like, I, mean, I get it if you, like, you have, like, a game like Witcher 3, where the main character is very defined, and you can't have just a female Geralt, and it's not going to change anything. But, like, in this game, where the protagonist doesn't even have a name, like, when, you, when you're ranking in the tournaments, it actually lists your name as player. It, it, just this whole assumption that male is the default is it's not okay anymore we need to get past this i agree but i think what they do with it is really is really good i think the story is very charming and very witty uh it does have that australian sense of humor it is an australian made game and you basically play this guy who's quit his job to achieve his childhood dream of playing golf professionally uh, his wife has left him and shacked up with some dude called Tobias, uh, and she's taking half of everything he he makes, which is uh, an ongoing joke in that. Um, and he returns to the golf club that his dad took him to when he was a child, and he has to win over everyone. How awful is are people to you in this game? Yeah, I feel like every time I saw a child, they were like, "Get away from me!" Like, yeah, this is, and then all the quests whereby people just mistreat you or like throw things at you or tell you how awful you are and i was like damn being divorced must really suck like (laughs) well to be fair one of the first side quests in the game is actually nailing a small child in the head with a golf ball to make them stop swimming in a water trap Mm. so in some respects the player character kind of has it coming (laughs) (laughs) the general structure is that you you get sent to another golf course to play nine holes but sometimes you can't because there's they're having some drama so one of them there's a heap of birds causing trouble and stealing balls there's uh, another one there it's uh, the the guy won't open the course because his wallet's been stolen and he wants it back understandably and you have to go around and you solve everyone's problems using golf before they let you play what did you make of the structure I quite liked it. I thought it made sense. Like the whole like go to one area, do something, get people to like you pattern sort of made the game I think easier for me to get into as someone who was like not previously into the concept of the whole golf thing as a sport. I think having that familiar structure made it easier for me to push through initially the parts where I was like, how do I hit this ball? Why can't I aim it? Why am I so bad at golf? Um, So having those sort of mini quests that were... I think quite funny in their own way like I think my favorite was when I had to become friends with a bunch of turtles to help a golf course and just small side side quests like mining and archaeology I think having those extra things really helped me get into the flow of things it helped me enjoy the golf stuff later on because I, th- I don't think my interest would have stayed if I hadn't had those structured quests and expectations to work towards. I was happy with the structure it's it's a perfectly competent game the way it's made but i kept waiting for it to open up and it never did um i I don't want to describe myself as a golf purist i've only played three games of actual golf in real life but in real life and in almost every other golf game i've played golf courses have 18 holes and in golf story there's only nine per course so it felt in some ways like half the game was missing but maybe that was just because i expected there to be more and it never appeared but that just felt odd to me, and I just wonder what the decision was where they only have nine holes per course rather than 18, which I think anybody who knows anything about golf could reasonably expect. Yeah, I think it might have been for brevity 
Or maybe they were trying to, I guess, open up to people like me who wouldn't have been into the golf thing, but would have been really into the, I guess, the Australian humor and the other stuff. But yeah, I mean, I've played plenty of real golf, which is probably why I didn't want to play virtual golf in the first place. And I was a bit surprised by the lack of 18 holes, but I preferred it. Like, I mean, some of the courses initially when I was just doing so badly at hitting the ball, I think having to sit through 18 holes would have broke me. So I think that might have worked out favorably for some of us. But obviously, if you are a golf purist, then that is something that you are going to have to to miss out on when you pick up Golf Story. Yeah, I think I'm in that bracket too. I think I would have found it tough going had it been a full 18 on all the courses. Okay, and well, I've been noticing other people talking about this where I I have not been sharing that perspective. Uh, I thought Golf Story was really easy. I blew through the whole game with hardly any difficulty. Other people from the stories they've been telling are not having that experience. So I don't know if the game just clicked with me or if it's the obscene amount of Mario Golf that I've played because Golf Story in many ways copies the mechanics of Mario Golf almost one for zero. And I didn't struggle with its difficulty at all. Yeah, see, I found it really, really, really ridiculously easy right up until the final three matches. Yeah. I'm still stuck on the final game and I've been banging my head against it for probably a total of a day now and I just cannot crack it I'm getting better but I'm just not able to to break that threshold and I'm pretty close to giving up on it I think no see it through you can do it I, I, I've spent like five hours on it alone this morning and my pad went across the room at least once oh no Wow. That's all right. I'll I will get to the end with you, Andy. If someone like me can do it who can't even hit the ball more than like 5 yards initially when I first picked up the game, we can do it together. <laughs> like I I am a patient person. Like there there isn't a lot of games I won't finish even if I'm not enjoying them. But it's just I'm just hitting a limit with this. So I'm going to give it another couple more goes. Maybe I'll just take a week off and come back to it and see how I go yeah. with that. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do. Exactly. Yeah, it's just, I don't know whether I'm just trying too hard or these little things like when you when you land it on the green and it tells you that the the slope is away from you, that slope is, is never consistent. What works on the same setup on a different hole doesn't work on the, the next hole. It's, it's really, I just don't know what I'm missing. Yeah, it's really hard to read the slopes sometime uh, because you... You can only see the slope of what's actually directly underneath your cursor, so you either need to really examine what's around there, because if you don't, then you'll think you're working with the slope, but then your ball will travel on beyond where your cursor was, and suddenly the slope has changed. For that reason, and this is one difference from Mario Golf, uh, you can actually chip with your wedge anytime you want, even if you're on the green, whereas Mario Golf forces you to use the putter once you're on the green. So... It's actually easier if you don't putt and just chip. <laughs> a little tip there. Yeah, I started doing that after watching your your Let's Play. Um, and the other thing I noticed was that you're just, from a standpoint, is uh, just hitting the ball a, a lot further than I can. So I think I've specced my character badly. So that that's probably a little tip for someone there. Put all your, your points into power. Yeah, that's something I learned from Mario Golf uh, on Game Boy Color, which... Again, Golf Story is very similar to. Uh, every time you get a level up, you get some points that you can distribute into different statistics. 
And the main one is power, which you can put as many points into and you can take as many points out of as you want. Mm -hmm. They do this so that way, like, if you're trying to do a challenge and your power is just too obscene to actually finish it, then you can just drop the power back a bit so that way it's like you're traveling back in time a couple hours to when you were a lower level. That's a nice convenience. What really you can take advantage of it for is, though, is as you develop your power, your other statistics that, like, affect how straight your ball travels and, uh, like, how big your landing zone actually is, uh, those actually degrade the more points you put into power. So you can actually level those out with your other statistics, your other stat points that you earn every time you get a level up. And then if you go up too high on your power and your other stats start to degrade and you don't have enough points to distribute to level them back out, you can actually take power back out to even those stats back out again. So what I did, and I think this might be where Andy struggles, maybe you didn't understand to do this, but I put as many points into power as I could until my other stats started to degrade. Then I used my leftover stats, or I took however many points out of power that I needed to to even those back out that way my power was as high as it could possibly be while keeping my other stats completely at zero so I get as much distance as I can and keeping all my other stats keeping my shot perfectly straight and landing right where I'm aiming at nice good tip Uh, and lastly of what we've played we've got Ginny up again who's going to talk about uh, Dragon Ball Z Xenoverse 2 um, I've I've got no ex- experience with Dragon Ball at all, really. I think I I just missed this when I was growing up. I was probably a little too late for it. Um, I love Akira Toriyama's character designs for Chrono Trigger, but I just they really put me off in Dragon Ball. Why? I don't know what it is. Why are their necks so thick? Because they're really strong. And okay, come on. The thicker the neck, the stronger the character. Come on, guys. Yeah. How can they bend their head? How do they look left to right? I mean, they're like walking trees. It's disturbing. They turn their whole bodies, usually. <laughs> like Batman. Yeah, exactly. About as way cooler as well, by the way. <laughs> and uh, the, now, I, I have been forced to watch a couple of episodes with a mate. Yes. And the whole time, they it's just two people stood across from each yes. other. Talking about yes. fighting, but never actually fighting. So, is this a fighting game where there's no actual fighting? What what happens? Is there fighting? Okay, in? I'd actually play that game. <laughs> yeah, well, Dragon Ball Z Xenoverse Two is actually all the good parts of Dragon Ball that you missed out when you watched it. So it's only fighting. So Dragon Ball is a like any other anime that's been going on for like literally decades. Um, it's obviously got. Um, bits whereby the plot builds up people talk and try and be diplomatic and sort it out and then they beat each other into the ground so the whole concept of xenoverse 2 is that you work for like a time traveling squad and your job is to go back in time to famous conflicts and make sure that the timeline is correct so basically you back you go back to all the famous fights from the dragon ball storyline and you get to like punch dudes up and make sure that the outcome is exactly what history intended So it is literally only fighting. Um, It is a game where you insert yourself into the Dragon Ball timeline, so you can be basically any kind of character you want. You can be a Saiyan, a Margin, an Earthling, like any race from from the series. Um, And your job is to go back in time in your time machine, your little Dragon Ball TARDIS, and basically kick people's butts until you get the outcome that history desires. So it is all fighting. Um, It is... 
I would say probably more fun if you play with your mates. Um, if especially if you aren't like a huge Dragon Ball fan. As someone who has watched a lot of Dragon Ball, I really liked sort of actually having the chance to fight in those really really famous battles. And for me, I thought that was really cool and that was really quite rewarding. But um, the one thing that I had a problem with or a gripe with, and I'm not normally one of those whole like oh no my frame rate kind of people. But I think in a fighting game where it is about being quick, about being fast and being on your feet, that kind of thing is important. And there was just a little too much frame rate lag on the Switch version for me to fully appreciate it. It wasn't a huge problem single player, but I can tell if you're going to be fighting against other people, that stuff can really affect you. Because you can go quite neck and neck in fights. And just that little bit of lag, like you pull your combo off after someone else does, could be quite deadly. Um, apart from that, it's really expected Dragon Ball. It's cheesy, it's corny as hell. And part of the game's draw is the fact that you're going to have to know the characters. It explains pretty much nothing to you. It just goes, hey, here's a famous fight between Piccolo and this other guy. Just beat them both up and that's your goal. That's your entire aim. Narrative is pretty weak. So if you're looking for a good story, again, this is not the kind of game for you. Um, I've been getting all the fan games recently, I feel, but this is really like a nostalgia heavy pick this up only if you are a fan and are probably going to play this mainly single player for the story and to experience those fights. The Switch version has the, all the fights and all the story from Xenoverse 1, the original Xenoverse game, so that is a bonus, I think, over the other versions that might be out. But compared to PS4, where there was pretty much no frame rate lag, everything looked amazing. This is a bit of a downgrade. Um, I'd recommend if you're an anime fan, you've probably seen both One Piece and Dragon Ball. I would go for the One Piece one just in terms of what it fulfills and what it brings to the table. And it has a little bit more variety. But it is still fun to just kick butt. So you heard it there, anime pirates for the win. Yeah. Arr, anime! <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to a new segment of the show, developer focus. Uh, Ginny was lucky enough to spend time chatting to the developers of Death Squared. The Nazi developer called SMG Studio. Uh, you've been playing the game recently. How are you finding it? Um, at first, really hard. I think it might just be puzzles or like a lack of innate coordination. But um, you can play single player, and that's what I did for quite a bit, which made the game ridiculously difficult. So basically, it's I think created as a couch co-op game. You can play it either way, you just are the one person controlling all four elements um, of moving blocks around the map to navigate to an endpoint. But it is a lot, a lot easier with other people to do it with. Um, as someone who has flatmates, I had a bunch of people to play it with, so I really enjoyed it for that sense. It's not quite the kind of multiplayer game like Mario Kart that ruins friendships. Um, I think it sort of really encourages teamwork and is good for bonding with people that you already know. But um, it is a really great puzzler. I think the concept is quite unique. It's kind of like you need to slot Lego blocks together in certain places and maneuver around other Lego blocks to get to a particular endpoint. So the concept isn't difficult, but execution gets sort of exponentially harder as you go on with the game. Um, I enjoy it as someone that had people to play it with, but I think if you were just by yourself, it will probably be really frustrating after a while. But highly recommend for people that enjoy couch co-op games for sure. So just a quick note, we did have some audio issues on the interview, part and parcel of working on the internet, unfortunately. Uh, but it came out really well, and we're going to roll that now. 
It's time for the part of our podcast where we chat to game devs about titles that they've made for our favorite console, the Nintendo Switch. We'll cover their Switch releases, the studio's background, and what they think the future is for their work and for the Switch. So, with me today, with no further ado, I've got Ashley Ringrose of SMG Studio, who put out the killer multiplayer puzzler Death Squared for the Switch. It's really great to have you on here, Ashley. Uh, thanks for having me. No worries at all. So, let's start things off nice and easy. Tell us a little more about SMG Studio and what you do there. Well, we're a uh, studio based in Sydney, Australia. We're about 18 people now, and uh, I'm the studio head, which is kind of like a bit like a wrangler, uh, yeah. someone that kind of does everything that other than the actual game development these days. And uh, yeah, we, we started back, we actually started building Squared back in 2015. Uh, Pat, our kind of lead game designer, game dev, um, did it at a game jam, and then when we saw it after the two days, because he did. Game Jam is like a 48-hour intensive kind of uh, over-the-weekend game uh, game building exercise. We saw him and said, oh, we have to we have to keep m- making this. It's just too much fun. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, two years later, it kind of came, came out and just recently came out on the Switch, which has been our biggest platform by far. So we nice. kind of really love, we really love the uh, Nintendo fans because they kind of get behind games uh, and get excited about, you know, kind of gameplay first than worrying too much about graphics. Yeah, so for sure. So we're really, really happy with that, and um, yeah, it's been quite a quite an adventure over the last two years. You know, working on it and releasing it and doing all the trailers and stuff. It's you know, you realise that the actual building the game is probably only, well, and this this part is probably like sixty percent and forty percent to all the other stuff around it. Whereas marketing and setting up and getting dev kits and all that stuff. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's been quite an adventure for us getting onto consoles. Well, you mentioned that you're an Australian outfit. Yes. Um, how does it influence what you guys bring to the table here in terms of developing and your sort of, I guess, your philosophies and your attitudes? I think, uh, and probably, you guys are from New Zealand, right? That's correct. Well, yeah. I am. Oh, yeah. um, we're like a multinational podcast, oh, okay. but I'm from New Zealand. Yeah, I think uh, Aussies and New Zealanders kind of love a good, have a good sense of humour, so we always try and put humour into our game. We also don't take mm. ourselves too seriously, and I think that kind of sometimes works in our advantage where, you know, we, we just want to make a game to have, uh, you know, we want people to have fun when they make the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a few disadvantages because you're so isolated, so when you go to get press or anything like that, you have to travel overseas. So we've been mm-hmm. to the various PAX shows at Seattle, uh, Boston, and I think it was in Austin or in Texas. And, you know, it's quite an endeavor to travel to those. And, you know, we could never go, we, we haven't gone to the UK and there's other shows in Tokyo, Japan, and so you know you really have to be a bit choosy on which events you go to, and that's you know it's a lot of lot of work. But I think for us being Aussie, just being sense of humour, and also we kind of want to punch above our weight and you know uh, show the world that you know we can do good stuff. But uh, but yeah, there's there's a few disadvantages, but I think we're we're still we're still able to you know get something out of there in the end of the day, and luckily. being Aussie just means you're a little bit more isolated, so you have to work that little bit harder to kind of get noticed. Yeah, fair call. I know how that feels being in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. um, so bringing it back to what SMU Studio has done so far, I know you mentioned that Death Squared was sort of conceived in 2015, yep. um, but SMG had obviously made quite a few prolific original IP mobile games prior to Death Squared. Yep. And you did say that was that Death Squared was your first foray onto, I guess, the comparatively larger consoles. 
Yeah. Um, so was it really just a case of the right platform at the right time, or did you have other things to consider when you were developing Desquare in terms of what platforms it would be on? I think, I mean, we've done quite a... We did a few premium mobile games. We've done a lot of free-to-play mobile games, mm. and the scope of those is a lot smaller, um, and we're always worrying about file size and, you know, how we're going to compress it down. And I think when we went to console, it was like, you know, I think we're at 200 meg, and we're like, wow, 200 meg. <laughs> you know, we've got more room. So, yeah. you know, so for Deskware, we recorded a lot of audio. We gave Mick, I think, 30-something pages to record audio because we were just like, open slather, we don't even have to worry about, you know, everything will have multiple takes or everything will have mm-hmm. multiple versions. So that was good. I think also from a, uh, you know, content point of view, you really have to give console gamers uh, a lot of value. I think in mobile yeah. game, you know, if you get a really nice short game loop, you know, that's it. People just want to have some kind of distraction. Mm-hmm. Whereas with console, you know, you really have to make sure you have it. You know, this is worth fifteen or twenty dollars. You know, and uh, you know, it's, it, which isn't that much money in the grand scheme of things. But uh, mm-hmm. for us, it was you know, we want to make sure they have it. There's enough levels. There's enough game time. You know, had working with Stride on the PR, and they're like, how long is the whole game? And we're like, oh well, it can take six hours or it can take 15 hours depending on how well you play and yeah. so we did a lot of testing just getting people in just say sit in a room and we'll time you see how long you get so it was less it was also bug testing but also just testing how long people took to get through the game so mm. all, those were new considerations as well it was nice having a consistent hardware in terms of you know <laughs> yes. if it runs if it runs on this dev kit it'll run everywhere and then you yeah. have to worry about you know, various screen sizes because on mobile there's so many different devices to uh, optimize for it's even on, even on the um, iOS side now, there's quite a lot there, and quite a lot of screen ratios. Yeah. So it was quite quite nice just having really the one ratio and you know the one piece of hardware. Mm. So it, well, it wasn't too dissimilar, but I think for us it was you know learning you know how do we add more content and how do we uh, you know how do we make it worth worth that value. Okay. Mm. Apart from things like the price point which you just mentioned, and also the extra content which you felt like you had to add, obviously yep. squared clearly plays like it's been fully optimized for the Switch. Like, it makes full use of all the Joy-Cons and all the multiplayer features that often draw people to Nintendo games and Switch games. So, I guess I'm asking, apart from the content issue and, you know, the space issue and the hardware issue, how else did the Switch inform your design or development choices? Oh, yeah, definitely. um, I mean, we wanted... Desquare to be like a launch title for the NX at that time, so that's okay. that's one of the reasons we we're able to get in quite early on the Switch lifecycle because we've been mm-hmm. hassling them as soon as we heard about the NX. Uh, we didn't get a launch title, but we got in quite quite soon after. But I think just having that um, pick up and play party, you know, mode, and you know, using mm-hmm. the two analog sticks, it's you know, not having analog sticks on a mobile device is, is such a uh, a drawback. So being able to okay. have that precise analog sticks. Um, you know, and, and kind of having built-in two-player or even, you know, encouraging, you know, kind of couch co-op mm-hmm. is exactly what we wanted. We want to bring back that couch co-op where you're working uh, with your with your partner or your kids or your grandma together versus just <laughs> yeah. sitting in, sitting alone or, you know, you're on the bus or you're on the public transport mm. and you're playing with the person next to you. So, you know, I think that form factor, even the level design wasn't really, it, it kind of, at, at the end of it, it's like, oh, well, the level designs kind of suit that kind of, you know, short burst, um, you know, playing with the Switch, you know, like, oh, I'm commuting, so I'll tackle two or three levels mm. and, you know, so you can kind of get those bursts or, you know, I can sit down with some friends and tackle a couple of levels. So I think it was a combination of, yeah, the built-in kind of audience for couch co-op, multi, multi-Joy-Cons out of the box, 
yeah. and also just you know the short kind of snackable levels where you can you can tackle one or two at a time. You know, levels range from thirty seconds up to I'd say five six minutes. We've had some people spend forty minutes on a level, but you know, it really depends minutes. on. Yeah, I've, I've, oh I've my people God. have packs come and just I saw their level times, and I was you know quite shocked. <laughs> but uh, you know, other, you know, some levels they do in a minute or so. So mm. you know, it's quite. A, it, I think the game kind of works that way as well, where you can kind of you know uh, piecemeal uh, bite away at it. You know, bit by bit, versus you know, you, you come back to it a, a day later and you're like, oh, where was I? You know, I think I had to do that a little bit with Zelda. I was like, oh, where exactly was I? What was I doing? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's right. I was you know riding on a a sand, uh, was it a sand whale? Sand or whatever. seal, yeah. Sand seal. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, but that's part of the beauty of that game where you get lost. Whereas this yeah. one, you didn't with Death Square, you could just go, okay, which level? I'll, just, I'll start the level again. Well, as someone who's played Discord solo and also with a bunch of mates, um, I think those two are vastly different experiences. I think yep. solo for me, it very felt, it very much felt like a, I guess, a traditional quote unquote puzzler, where yep. it was everything was a little bit more stressful, a little bit more tense. Um, whereas I think sometimes with mates, it can get quite chaotic. But then again, I feel like both approaches work. Like, I think that's the beauty of Disc Square to someone like me anyway, is, like, I enjoy having the option to play by myself and also yeah. with some mates. And so the modes are so different that I honestly think that it's just the most brilliant design, the way that it's been made to appeal to both audiences. Yeah, um, it, 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 was a, it was a big decision to make sure it was still fun and enjoyable single player because mm. we, you know, we're even reluctant of even saying that there was a four-player mode before it came out because we're worried that people would think it was only a four-player party game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we debated in that in the office, in the studio quite a lot. You know, do we even say there's four-player? And Pat mm. was, you know, adamant on that. But, you know, it can be played as a single-player game and it's, you know, like a traditional puzzler. And I, I, like, I like it in terms of like putting together Ikea furniture because you can you know <laughs> yeah. for some people putting together Ikea furniture by yourself is easier and other people are like oh you need a friend to kind of help you and hold you or, or it's vice versa you know yeah. it's harder when there's someone else not giving you the right pieces and you're just like you know go over there I'll finish it so and and it is it is a different experience because you're kind of using two sides of your brain at once or mm. you know or you're working in tandem and solving a puzzle with someone else is a lot more fun and that's what we kind of wanted and we wanted the game to be accessible so you know, you can play it with uh, you know, a six six year old. I recommend probably yep. six plus, maybe seven plus for problem solving. But you can play with <laughs> a hundred and seven year old grandma. Yeah. As long as she knows how to go up, down, left, right. And we've, we've seen there's a, there was one uh, girl. I think it was on the one of the forums. Like she showed her grandma playing, and she was using a Tim Tam packet as the oh switch stand. It was, nice. it was hilarious. Like she was like eating Tim Tams and playing at the same time, and <laughs> you know, and that's. That's kind of you know the joy for us is that someone can play that game because there's a lot of games out there where you're competitive yeah. and it's so reaction based or and and you know um, skill based that you know if, if you don't have the dexterity it's just like oh it's just too hard and you're too frantic whereas Death Square we made sure everything moves at the same speed you move mm-hmm. and so if you want to take it slow slow and steady you can if you want to you know rush through them as fast as you can you can do that as well. I guess moving away slightly from this square, the title itself, into the into more of I guess some console-based questions. Um, you already mentioned that you guys were gunning for coming out early on the Switch in terms of this yep. square. Um, yep. What excited you then about making a game for the Switch, and what excites you now about developing games for that console? Uh, I think the reception has been of the console has been much better, I mean, much better than I was expecting, and yeah. it just, like, it's growing and growing, and, 
from going on the like I'm on the forums, I'm on the Reddit uh, threads quite a lot now, mm-hmm. and just seeing people saying like, "Oh, I never used to buy indie games, or I never used to buy digital games, but now I'm buying like one a week." Mm-hmm. And yeah. the fact that I think this console is kind of converting people that way. I mean, you got Steam gamers. You know, and they'll, they'll, you know, all of it's digital, so uh, so they're buying games, you know, small and big. Yeah. But I think previously you would have had a lot of nin- probably Nintendo fans just uh, they just bought the the package games and stayed at that. But seeing all these people saying like, "Wow, I'm playing all these new games," and seeing games like Golf Story come out of nowhere, which mm-hmm. is also Australian, and gets yeah. number one, gets number one without any pre-launch. It's just you know, I think those guys were just working on it and then just said, "Oh, we're releasing it." And it's really fun. So I think it's just the so biggest one is just the audience is really open to it. Mm. Um, secondly, I mean, as much as the you know gyro and the kind of you know, I think there's a lot of options with the Joy Cons and even the IR sensor and stuff. There's a lot of fun to be had there. One thing you have to make sure is if you don't build it so specific to the console that you then can't port it to other consoles. So you, need, mm-hmm. you just need to always have a, you know, okay, if we make use of that, how can we then uh, still make it work for other consoles? Because you don't want to limit yourself to just one. Yeah. Um, and the and and the, I guess yeah, I think it's that portability just creates new ways of, you know, people are willing to, you know, you know, they'll play for five minutes. It's not just a sit down and you know you got to play for, you know, a few hours. You know, you can you can have games that you know I'm interested in a game that would well, it's almost. Similar to almost like a, um, not an idle game, but just something where, you know, you, you're forced to play it in multiple little, little, little sections. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a, there's a, you know, knowing that people are going to be able to move this around, there's some opportunities there as well that can open up different ideas. Um, it's good that you mentioned the other um, game, Gold Story, um, developed yeah. by Australian Studio. I know Sonic Mania was the product of an Aussie as well, so just what yeah. Store has seen quite an explosion of indie games and I guess games from regions like Australia which are often um, which often don't have the biggest following or the biggest rep out there in the game industry at this point um, yeah. so I guess how do you feel about this newfound interest in indie games um, from regions like this and also indie games in general do you think that this interest will continue on Nintendo's side with them supporting all these indie games on the Switch eShop I think um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I mean they had the Nindies at night thing at yeah. PAX um, I think Nintendo's realised that you know they've they've kind of almost got the perfect platform for it right now, and mm-hmm. the indies like ourselves are having success. So if if it keeps rolling like this, you know they'll be uh, you know spoiled for choice, and probably and and you'll start probably seeing more games coming out on that pla- on on the Switch platform first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because there's going to be there's a reason to come out there first rather than it yeah, being you know yeah. the default you know usually Steam or something like that. So you know if they if it keeps going as, as it's going, you know, they're going to have, you know, quite a, a really good, you know, they're going to be sport for choice in terms of which indies are coming on. And I think from the buzz around PAX, when we were there at PAX West recently, you know, mm. everyone was like, oh, I want to get on the Switch. You know, the the audience is hungry for games and they're hungry for different types of games as well. So, you know, that's, that's really interesting. I think because there's a lot of people that don't make, especially in the indie scene, don't make games that are your traditional you know, shooter games or sports games and stuff. So yeah. for them, you know, it's like, wow, the Nintendo audience is ready for, ready to embrace these different types of games. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. the next, I mean, it's only been it's only been out for six months, so it'll be interesting to see how Christmas goes and post-Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, it'll be a very interesting um, 
it's a very interesting space to watch, you know, to see what games are coming out, um, you know, and, and do do some do some studios start doing more Switch first games, which I think they will. Yeah, I think so too. I just like, honestly can't believe it's only been six months. I mean, it feels like we've had a whole year of releases basically crammed into those six months on the Switch. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think we've got Stardew Valley coming out in a couple of days. You mentioned yeah. Gold Stories just come out. Like, it's, I think it's actually quite phenomenal the demand that the Switch store has created, I think. And I think yeah. you're definitely right about the Nintendo fan base being hungry for different kinds of games and that contributing to it all. Yeah, um, and I think, like, Golf, Golf Story is good because that's, that's an original game for it. Like, uh, yeah. Stardew Valley seems perfect for it, but it's a, obviously a port. Um, but the thing that uh, makes me scared is kind of, like, the, the games are, like, announced, like, five days before they come out. I think because they're they're waiting to go through lot check or certification. And so when you're trying to plan, like we were trying to plan like when we're on sale, because we're on sale now, Mm. we originally planned like, oh, nothing else is coming out around, you know, there's FIFA 18. (laughs) And what was it? I had like FIFA 18 and One Piece. And it's like, ah, you know, that's not, you know, that's not really a competition with us. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll go on sale. And then suddenly like Golf Story and six other games came out that day. And because all the releases, you know, aren't um, pre-planned as much. So I think that's, that's just a little bit, that's the only kind of negative side I can see is, you know, trying to plan your release schedule, the things mm-hmm. are just dropping out of the blue, but, and I think it's hard for Nintendo fans to, you know, like, oh man, I just spent all my money this month, so I'm going to spend more, you know. Yeah, fair enough. So, you just said that you think that's the only negative of, I guess, putting something out on the Switch and developing developing for the Switch. Is that really the only negative from, like, a development perspective? Uh, no, I mean... That's, I mean, yeah, I mean, release planning, because I mean, looking at it now, like you've got, I think October 5th, there's Stardew Valley, Axiom Verge, Tumblestone, yep. Volgar, mm-hmm. and Oxenfree the day after, like, I don't oh, think any of those, I don't think any of those were in the calendar, you know, a week ago, so, you know, if you're trying to organize yourself, it's, you know, as a, you know, like, when do we go on sale, or when should we release our game, mm-hmm. you just can't look at the release schedule and and have any confidence you just be like well anything could drop (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think what else Um, no I think no I mean it it is a little bit harder to test on the uh, on the switch because we've got the dev kits and we're not allowed to take any photos of that and you can't really you can't really just send someone some code to test on mobile you can you know here's an APK or Mm. you know here I'll test flight it um, you know, Steam, you can have people on betas, but there's no kind of beta testing program. So, you know, it's really hard to get a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of people testing your game unless you have them in the actual studio. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. prob- that's that's more mm-hmm. of a, you know, on, on the back of house side. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that'll, you know, th- that'll probably be fixed at, at some point. But I think right now it's, you know, it's, it's quite an easy platform to get onto. You know, there's no achievements or anything like that. So as a yeah. developer, you know, that requires less work. Mm-hmm. Um, the documentation is quite clean in terms of, you know, how to – the test cases and stuff. So, you know, the process is quite simple. Mm-hmm. So I think the only negative thing would be that because you've got Nintendo fans, there's probably more of the mature or not, – not mature, even like the more ultra-violent games – probably aren't going to go as well, but I don't know, Butcher just came out, so I don't know how well that's gone, but, mm. you know, that that seems a little bit odd to the usual kind of Switch kind of games, but it'd be interesting to see what type of, you know, what type of games the whole the Switch players are kind of gravitate, gravitating towards, you know. Is it more like the, you know, RPG-style golf story Stardew Valley, or is it, you know, yeah. anything and everything? 
that's fair. I mean, I know that Wolfenstein is coming out on the Switch oh, yeah, and do, Doom. Yeah. So yeah. I think when that was announced, all of us here at Switch Focus were like, what on earth? Like, it was really <laughs> unexpected. So I think that would be and probably... Awesome. Yeah, I know, it was great. Like, I thought, awesome, I'm going I'm to pick that up right away. And then I thought again, well, this is sort of, I suppose, Nintendo's way of shedding its traditionally... I suppose, kid-friendly media image, I guess, in terms of having games on these platforms, like the Switch. And, um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think, yeah. I think Doom, yeah, Doom, I've only played a bit of Doom on the console, and I think, yeah, the Switch is, again, a perfect platform. Perfect platform for someone like me that has kids, has a job, and, mm. you know, can't find the time, you know, or and wants to just hide away in the toilet somewhere and play games. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, and I has a, have quite a short commute, but... You know, I think the platform has definitely found um, its, you know, a, a niche and filled a void that wasn't there. So, yeah. yeah, and I think once it gets Netflix or, you know, if Netflix comes onto it, you know, it'll be, it'll be and you've got some way to kind of cloud save or um, you know, save your data, yeah. it'll be a, quite a formidable, uh, you know, piece of kit. Yeah, I agree. Um, you mentioned going to the PAXs in America in terms of yep. showing off um, games um, by SMG like this squared. Yep. Um, will you be making an appearance at PAX Australia? Yep. Yeah, we'll be at PAX Australia. So uh, I think we'll be showing this squared as, as well. Probably the last show we just got merged there. We've also mm-hmm. got, um, like at PAX, PAX West, we had a $100 challenge, which was if you solved a couple of the like we had about four levels we rotated between uh-huh. if you solve one if you solve one of those levels blindfolded with your partner telling you how to play we oh. gave you we gave you $100 but what we're doing in Australia is because we couldn't take this to Seattle because they were too heavy mm-hmm. is we've got we've actually got some Wii balance boards and we've hooked those up to the PC so we'll have you stand on a Wii balance board and <sighs> if you solve the level without dying or solve it within a probably probably within a certain time, yeah. we'll give you we'll give you hundred bucks cash as well. So it's actually quite fun, um, very hard as well. Okay. So yeah. it's kind of we kind of like to add these kind of little theatric things to the mm. booth. So rather than like if you've already played the game, you're like, oh, I've played it before. It's like, oh no, now play it on a Wii balance board. And the, the best method I've seen is if the person on the balance board yeah. becomes really stiff, closes their eyes, and a person, their friend, grabs them and uses them like a giant controller. Oh my God. Um, you know, grabs their shoulders. Yeah, um, that, yeah. that actually seems to work best because then they can counter move. But uh, okay. we, we just like doing that kind of... We, we had one more line set up on a giant button, and we like giving away money because um, <laughs> it gets people... It gets our, gets our heart pumping. Yeah. When you're there for three days, when you're there for three days, you want to, um, you know, make it a bit interesting for people, so... Yeah. Yeah, so look out for that if you're a, a desk where, you know, if you're really good at it, you can come down and try and play it on a Wii Balance board and maybe win some cash. Yeah, well, I will hold... I will keep... <laughs> bring your grandma. Um, <laughs> bring your grandma. Yeah, yeah you, you heard it here first, listeners. Bring your grandma, and you can use yep. her as a giant human joystick to win yep. $100 yep. from <laughs> SMG Studio at Tax Australia. And for her, it would be like $100 worth of hard candy. Or, t- or Tim Tams, if she's got Tim Tams. Oh, yeah, Tim Tams. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now you've talked a little bit more about, I guess, showing Death Squared at PAX. Do we have any other games that we can look forward to from SMG Studio that you might give us a little sneak peek of at PAX? Uh, it's it's hard uh, on the switch, no, because mm-hmm. we we can't put like beta code on oh, right. yeah. a non uh, public facing 
device, which mm-hmm. which is a little bit hard. Um, but we have we have some other things in the works, but they're probably going to launch 2018. So, oh, okay. uh, you know, we're we're doing level updates now for Desk Squared. We've got the Japan build coming out, which has these really cute hats that we're rolling out to all the other platforms for free. Oh nice. Uh, but yeah, we've got a whole bunch because the amount of games that are coming on the Switch now, we're kind of planning for early next year as our kind of release window. But we've got a couple of things in the works, mm-hmm. uh, but nothing we can confirm yet until we've uh, done the final, you know, bits of testing. But yeah, we should have a pretty good, a pretty full quarter one for us. Mm-hmm. And we've got a, a very big uh, mobile game coming out as well that pretty much the entire team's working on right nice. now. Um, but again, we can't really announce that until we know the full date. So yeah, um, it's kind of a bad answer, but yeah, <laughs> no, 20, twenty eighteen should twenty eighteen should be uh, quite a big year for us in terms of variety and uh, scope of the games that we're releasing. Okay, see that sounds exciting. Thank you. And my very last question, as we start to wrap up, um, yep. what games um, from other studios apart from SMB Studio are you excited for that are going to come out on the Switch either soon, maybe like. Q4 this year or Q1 next year? Um, I mean, I was excited for Golf Story and I'm still playing it now. I actually went home, I went back to the studio to pick up my charge cable because I left it at the studio to play that. Um, I am excited, yeah, I'm excited for Doom just Mm -hmm. on on that. Um, What else is the other ones? I mean, Dead Cells I'm looking at, I'm watching that. I don't know if that's coming out for Switch. I'm pretty sure it'll be coming out for Switch. Been watching that. Um, we just set up the Vive in the studio as well, so I'm now going back to all the the VR games like your Rick and Morty Simulator. Oh, nice. um, and I played I, I played what was it uh, uh, Super Hot in VR and realised oh, that because yeah. our, our room is like basically got walls on either side and all three people have played it each punched the wall oh, no. uh, quite quite hard. And then one of the other people threw the controller. Oh, we didn't have the wristband on. So that game's, in, <laughs> that game's intense, so we're going to have to set up another room to play that yeah, one. But yeah. um, I was very impressed by Superhot in VR. But on the, on the Switch, um, I don't know. I'm just kind of clearing a slate for Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, yeah. uh, and I kind of got to the point in Zelda where it's like I have to put it down. Otherwise, I'd never, never want to, you know, see anyone else in the world again. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think Super Mario Odyssey is kind of you know I'll get in I'll, I'm on the hype train for that as well. So yeah, yeah. fair enough. I think everyone that um, is anyone who has ever played a Nintendo game is super hyped for Super Mario Odyssey. So hopefully it won't disappoint. I feel like it won't. I know my hopes are no. high as a Nintendo fan, but it looks so good. I know it's going to be good. Yeah, I think. I mean, I. I got the Switch and then I got Zelda and I was like, oh, I better, I better test this out, you know. And I'll, I've never played a Zelda other than the first one. Okay. And then I, and then I was like, my wife's just like, have you been playing all day and all weekend? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so sitting there in my pajamas with like chips all, or, you know, chip crumbs all around me. So Classic. you know, I'm, I think it'd be the same for Super Mario, where again I haven't played it since Mario 64. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think you know I, I, I get easily addicted to to games. So. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah, well, all of us at Switch Focus are very excited for Super Mario Odyssey, and now that we know that there's more stuff coming from SMG Studio next year, including hats, which I think personally are <laughs> awesome as a TF2 hat collector. Yeah, um, I'm super sold on that. Um, so it looks like, look, so it looks like it's going to be a very exciting year of development for your studio. 
Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to check us out, we're on just go smgstudio.com. You can find our Facebook and Twitter. Usually it's Twitter where we're just posting up random stuff, maybe three, four times a day. That's usually me. Uh, <laughs> if something, if, you, if I post something completely random, that's me. And on Facebook, we've got quite a lot of car fans because of Thumbdrift, so we post up a lot of car stuff. So hit us up on Twitter if you want to um, chat random stuff. Otherwise, um, yeah, check us out. And yeah, next year we should have quite a lot of. Uh, stuff for you guys to chat chat to us about awesome well thank you again for coming on switch focus ashley it's been really great having you thank you so that was a cool interview so make sure to check out death squared on the eShop. it sounds really cool and now we'll move on to some listener questions First up, we have Anthony Pengeli, who asks, What so-called AAA titles do you think could actually be able to run well on the Switch? Are games like Call of Duty, bleh, feasible? That's his words, not mine. <laughs> I, uh, I I think they're all feasible. It just depends in, in what capacity and how well they run. So, obviously, we've got Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus coming next year. Like they, they wouldn't do it if they didn't think it could run. It's just going to depend on what concessions they have to make to, to make it run. Yeah, I agree. I think we'll see plenty more AAA games, especially after things like Wolfenstein and Doom have made their way onto the console. I think it's quite clear that they can run, perhaps a slightly reduced visual quality. But I think that doesn't hinder the title from running well. Like, I don't have to play every game at 60 FPS. Obviously, it's not crucial to my enjoyment of the game. So I'm sure games like COD would be feasible, even though I probably wouldn't want to play it on the Switch. But I think there will be a market for it, and Nintendo will be smart enough to latch onto that market. I think we got to look at this uh, based on the reality of what's been happening with the Switch already, because often what happens in the beginning is what affects the system throughout. Like, uh, the Wii... The very first game for it was Twilight Princess, which was a GameCube game with waggle controls slapped onto it. Every Wii game that came out after it almost was a PS2 game with waggle controls slapped onto it. So here in the early life of the Switch, we're seeing lots of ports from last gen. Uh, We are seeing games like Doom and Wolfenstein 2, which are current gen games, but they have also been very clear. Bethesda has been very clear in the marketing for it, that they have custom built these games for the Switch. So I think we're going to be seeing AAA games, like equivalents, on the Switch, but I think we'll be far more likely to see it with situations like FIFA 18, where they are custom building an alternate version of the game specifically for the Switch hardware. And hopefully that situation will be more successful than FIFA 18 has been. I, th- I think in Bethesda's case, they've specified that their engines are pretty well scalable. Uh, I think it's got this problem where there's a group of people that that think that it's not as powerful as it is, and then there's a group that think it's it's more powerful than it is, where really it's probably just a little better than a low-end PC. I'm really more interested in where it scales between last-gen and this-gen. If it's somewhere fairly between... Uh, an Xbox 360 and an Xbox One, then so be it. You know, it's portable. That's a fair trade-off. So I I don't expect it to be playing the greatest stuff. And I've always been interested in a console for its exclusives. So, you know, uh, when the Vita came out, it got a Call of Duty game, but it got 
a Call of Duty game made specifically for the Vita. It, nobody liked it. It bombed. And it may very well have meant the death knell of the Vita in the United States, at least. But that's not what's been happening with the Switch. And if we're going to get an Assassin's Creed game on the Switch, I don't expect to see Origins. I expect to see a unique Switch game. AAA games may come. I just I don't think they're going to be the mainline games. I think they're going to be Guidance. And I'm perfectly fine with that. And lastly, Craigity Craig asks, one of the bigger ways they're pushing Doom is the ability to play anywhere, but do you think its high level of violence hinders this? Um, not for me. Um, personally, not at all either. I mean, I've seen people play games like Moira Chronicle on the Vita on the train. Um, so I think if people are willing to play games with like near nudity in them, that the violence won't be an issue at all. I, it's not going to be an issue for me personally. I can't speak for those around me. I'll try to respect their complaints if they do voice them to me. But I played South Park The Stick of Truth on my laptop on commutes to school for like a week. <laughs> so if I can do that, I'm not concerned about Doom at all. And just as being concerned about looky loose looking over your control over your shoulder and going oh my god what is that person playing i was playing minecraft at the laundromat last week and there was this kid who was very interested in watching me play which i'm fine with i did my best to help him but the way the switch is constructed and way the screen works it was very difficult for this child to watch over my shoulder without being like practically in my field of vision so just for that logistical reason alone, I don't think it's going to be an issue. So what are you guys planning on playing in the next week? I'm probably going to be playing Stardew Valley because we still need to talk about that. And I will finally have time for it maybe after pushing my way through Oxenfree. But I think that will sort of mainly be where my focus is at and trying to finish Golf Story. I'm going to be playing Stardew Valley, of course. Um, I want to make some more headway on Thimbleweed Park, and then on the 12th, I believe, in the U.S. at least, I don't know about in other territories, but there's two games coming out, uh, Flame in the Flood, which is a roguelike that looks absolutely amazing, I'm definitely going to be talking about that next week, and also Wolverblade is due out, and we are going to hopefully be having an interview with the developers of that in an upcoming episode. Uh, and I'm going to be playing Stardew as well, uh, and I'm going to try and get through SteamWorld Dig too. And this brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll really help us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Why not also check out our YouTube channel, where we regularly upload the first hour of many of the games we play. And remember, you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at FlameRoastToast. Uh, Ginny is at GinnyWoes. And Andrew is at PlayCritically. So don't forget, you can send your questions and responses to our Twitter feed, at SwitchFocusPod, or our Facebook account, or via our website and its handy contact form.